0: business and buckets episode 76 coming right at you on the hills of the sweet 16 elite eight final four this weekend you already know villanova's there blue blood final four are we surprised are we surprised i know i'm not but before we talk march madness we got a slate of sports starting off with ufc recapping what had happened this past weekend but you already know. Before we talk sports, we're going to talk the one and only sponsor here at Business at Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. So fellas, performance is at the top of the list in all categories of our lives. That's why you need Counter-Attack from Fueled Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than the average testosterone booster. Counter-Attack combats estrogen production, supports liv- liver kidney and heart health as well as boost sex drive, energy levels and lean muscle mass. So let's face it. We all want to look like a young energized version of ourselves. So increase vitality inside and outside the gym with Counterattack. The misses will thank us for it. So don't wait, head to fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code buckets for 15% off. Once again, promotion code buckets b u c k e t s. Now we're at episode 76 of this damn thing. We're over a year in with business and buckets production, getting better every single time. You know, it's, it's been quite a whirlwind whirlwind of a journey from the table that my friend had set up the studio here in my apartment to on the go podcast, getting the right lighting, the video camera, the setup. Uh, I like to think, um, you know, we're at a pretty good place today with business and buckets, but I can't wait what the future has in store. And, uh, you know, transitioning to the MMA side of things, um, doing some rebranding and and, and some, you know, long-term growth strategies for the podcast. But we're pumping out content every single week. If you're a fan of my, you know, my conversation of sports outside of UFC, make sure to tune in while we still got that going on. But we're going to start in the UFC with some fights that have been announced this past week, including Eric Anders versus... Jun Young Park, uh, that'll be a fun banger that's coming up here uh, in the next couple months. For this next weekend's uh, UFC 273, a little bit of a fight switch. Uh, Kevin Gastelum's opponent, Amavov, having some visa issues, so Anthony Hernandez is out um, against Dracus Duplices. He got a new opponent. Dracus Duplesis is now fighting Kelvin Gastelum. That will be a banger. I was more uh, pumped for the Amavav fight, but either way, it's going to be great to see Gasoline back in the octagon. On the women's side of things, we have Casey O'Neill versus Jessica I. Casey, who just graced the octagon recently, I, who had had a, um, a delay in a fight, now gets to go in, fight the king, Casey O'Neill. That's going to be a fun one uh, versus an up-and-coming prospect and vet of the sport. Uh, Still with the women's side of things, we have Amanda Ribas versus Caitlin Chukagian. Caitlyn Chukagian. This is going to be an awesome one. Same thing, true veteran, uh, you know, someone who's fought for the title a few times versus a very big name up and coming, as well as Raquel Pennington replacing Irene Aldana and taking on Aspen Ladd. So lots of fights getting booked in the women's division, Um, you know women letting things shake out and other young prospects trying to get their way into title contention. Uh, This is definitely a fun one here. Alex Pieta getting some stiffer level of competition, taking on Sean Strickland. Uh, Excited to see how that one plays out. We will learn a lot from Mr. Pieta after that fight and see if he will indeed be a true opponent for Israel Adesanya. Cause you know, the UFC is hoping that that becomes a reality. Jan Blachowicz versus Alexander Raichik is official. This was a rumored fight that we had talked about and what a fucking banger of a fight this is going to be. We're really going to get the true gauge here of Alexander Raychick and I can't wait. And then this past weekend outside of the UFC, um, the one championship had their, um, their card early in Singapore on Saturday morning. Mighty Mouse ends up looking good in round one in a Muay Thai MMA hybrid type fight against a very good opponent in Rod Tang. Uh, he stood his ground round one in uh, kickboxing and then was a, er, in Muay Thai, and then was able to uh, get to Rod Tang's back, choke him out for the second round finish. And Mighty Mouse continues to add to his resume of what he is capable of. It is very impressive. And you know, for me as a UFC fan, Watching him lose in one championship was definitely very brutal for me as a fight fan. Um, let's see. One championship events. The opponent that he had lost to, I'm blanking on his name, won in this card as well. And I would love to see the rematch. 1X. Angela Lee, Angela Lee keeping the title, getting a round uh, two submission. And then uh, Adriano Moraes uh, getting a submission in round three. I love to see Demetrius Johnson get the rematch uh, against Moraes. Um, but either way, great to see Mighty Mouse back in the win column. And then Jake Paul announces that he will be fighting in August with no opponent yet. That's to be determined. Uh, but Jake Paul going to grace the boxing ring another time. Um, and uh, try to blow up the internet but let's talk about this week's uh, this weekend's past deep fight night card before the weekend off this weekend you know it's it's final four in full action no ufc uh so if you're a ufc fan you're always die hard watching them every saturday go out enjoy the mountains enjoy some nature do what you got to do but I went 7-3 and three on this past card. My, my records have been great over the past month. Really getting dialed in here. Making some cash moolah. Uh, I did have a fight uh, on here that I think a lot of people probably picked wrong. Bust my parlays for this week. Um, but we'll start in the prelim card, which had this amazing flyweight bout of Methus Nicolau with the unanimous decision over David Dvorak. And, you know, for me... Especially the, these big time cards, or I guess this isn't a pay per view, but a pretty big card in Columbus, Ohio. I'm not sure when the last time they had UFC live there. You know, there was a lot of booze here, and I hate that. I know that people wants to see a boxing fight, someone get knocked out. You know, this is mixed martial arts. If you're a true fan, there is wrestling involved, there is counter striking. There's a lot of pieces involved, and not every fight's going to be rock 'em sock 'em boppers. So. Was definitely bummed about the booze that was happening here. But really, this was a showcase of Methus's quick hands and counter-striking ability. That's why it was a slow start to the the fight. Um, But this is a huge win for Nicolau. He gets to show that he is ready for the class of the flyweight division. Uh, When we look at the stats here, Methus landed 46 total and 36 significant strikes with that knockdown compared to David's 60 total and 39 significant. You know, Methus landed the bigger shots. Obviously, David would come in, land a couple quick ones. Methus would have those counter attacks. That's why in the first round, it was really slow going because Methus was waiting for David to come back. But I'm sure David knew that he had those quick hands and the counter ability. Now, Methus brings his winning streak to five with three of them in the UFC. And he stays at number seven in the rankings while David has his 16 fight winning streak come to an end. And he is now three and one in the UFC and stays at number 10. You know, obviously in the flyweight division, a lot of these guys come in with pretty nice records into the UFC because there's not a lot of promotions outside the UFC that have really stacked flyweight divisions. Um, So, you know, take the 16 fight winning streak for, uh, 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 with a grain of salt, so to speak. But either way, I mean, these two fighters, really high level fighters, great matchup to see in the UFC. Uh, and I was loving this in the prelims early, Plus, my parlay was looking good at the time. So what's next for these guys? I think Methus, I could see him taking on Askar Askarov after this Kaikara France fight that we had broken down, or maybe Alexander Pantoja. Uh, so he, he's definitely ready for that, that upper echelon in the flyweight. While David could take on someone like Tagir Bekov. either way, excited to see these guys grace the octagon once again. And then we had Manon Fierro with the unanimous decision over Jennifer Maya. Definitely, uh, you know, didn't necessarily put this in all my parlays as Jennifer was a huge underdog. Uh, but I was pretty confident Jennifer was going to give her a run for her money or potentially win the fight. And this was a lot closer than the odds makers had, had put it uh, down on paper. And that's what I thought it was, it was going to be more of a scrap than people thought. You know, Jennifer definitely had her moments a couple huge head kicks. I think one was in the second round that really looked like she had wobbled Manon. Um, so she definitely had her moments with some big strikes, but obviously wasn't the quicker, wasn't the uh, more aggressive fighter. And that's why, you know, Manone was probably the favorite in the, for, in the odds maker's eyes. And Manone's a real deal. She's got valuable octagon time She showed her speed and diversity against a top-level fighter in her division, as Jennifer has fought for the title and fought pretty valiantly as well. Now, statistically, Manone landed 101 total and 83 significant strikes with two takedowns, compared to Jennifer's 56 total and 37 significant strikes and a takedown of her own. Manone now is on a very impressive nine-fight winning streak. Four of those nine are in the UFC, and she moves up a whopping six spots in the rankings to number seven. While for Jennifer, she's lost two in a row. Three of her last four have been against obviously the you know the best of the best, the upper echelon in the division. And she moves down two spots to number six. So for Jennifer, I'd love to see her, see her take on Alexa Grasso, who, who just had a nice win. And for Manone, she is now definitely in the big leagues. And a lot of the, the upper part of this division is booked right now. So I think she's going to have to let some things shake out a little bit. But if she's looking for a fight in the short term, maybe Aaron Blanchfield, who's on a nice winning streak, would be a good opponent. And then we had Sarah McMahon with unanimous decision over Carl Rosa. And this this fight turned into a wrestling grappling match and uh, did not that did not benefit Rosa by any means. Um, I didn't think it would go that way. I thought Rosa would be able to pick her apart a little bit. But it's an impressive win for McMahon at 41 years old in the women's division. I mean, that that's very, very impressive. Um, Stats-wise, Carol landed 92 total and 27 or 26 significant strikes with a takedown and a reversal compared to Sarah's 73 total, 24 significant strikes, and a whopping four takedowns. She clearly was looking to get this one down on the mat. So Sarah starts a new winning streak, She's fought once a year for the past three years. Um, You know, kind of interested and intrigued to see what's next for her. She does move up one spot to number eight in the rankings. uh, While Carol has her six-fight winning streak come to an end and moves down one spot to number 13 in the rankings. So it's hard to really say what would be next for Sarah, but I could see Julia Avila and maybe for Carol, Jessica Rose-Clark, who just took a loss recently as well. Um, and that all, that was all action in the prelims. Again, a pretty deep fight night card for a non-paid pay-per-view. In the main card, we got kicked off with Mark DeCasey, a unanimous decision over Vyacheslav Borshev. And I, I guess more so in this fight than the Rosa fight, but to the same degree as the Rosa fight, I did not expect to say that this would go and become a wrestling match from DeCasey's standpoint as a very exuberant striker, very unorthodox striker, and powerful striker in this division. You know, you would think you would see that against a kickboxer, uh, but obviously he had respected that. He's trying to add to his game. This is mixed martial arts. Um, so uh, Borishev's weakness was clearly wrestling. He's seen that on tape, and DeCasey and his team. Realize that they focused hard in on that. They made that the game plan and they did not divert from that whatsoever. Now, it will be interesting to see if to and his fights moving forward continues to do that or if, you know, uh, he was just utilizing the weakness, um, of the, uh, the kickboxer and Vyashlav, but he's a very talented striker. I'm interested to see, you know, what his next fights look like. Statistically, Mark did land 40 total and 17 significant strikes with 11 takedowns. Mr. DeCasey, sheesh! And that's compared to Villaslav's 32 total and 12 significant strikes. You know, he was uh just uh, in a grappling match for the ages. You know, he was doing some cr- crazy uh, uh grambling rolls, trying to get out of it. I mean, you could tell he he definitely needs to spend more time Practicing as a grappling defense. Now Mark starts a new winning streak after a two-fight losing streak. Vyashlav has his four-fight winning streak come to an end, and he is now two and one in the UFC. If you include his Dana White Contender Series victory, I consider those UFC wins. Now, uh, next for these fighters, I could see Mark taking on uh, Jai Herbert or Leonardo Santos, and for Borishev maybe Chris. Uh, Gutzenmacher, or Joachim Silva. Regardless, love watching Mark DeCasey, the bone crusher. Um, obviously, the striking version is a little bit more uh, fan-friendly than the wrestling version, uh, but I'm excited to see his potential as he climbs back into the mix. And what a fucking fight this was. We knew it was probably going to be the, the fight of the card. Neil Magny with a split decision over Max Griffin. And this was a wild fight. And debatably could have gone either way, in my opinion. You know, Neil started late again. He always just kind of takes a while to get ramped up. And he wasn't quite as aggressive as I expected. But that could be because of the power that uh, Mr. Max, you know, possesses. Uh, But once the cardio machine got going, he pulled through. He landed some big shots. But Max landed some huge right hands that damn near put Neil away early. And you could tell that he was respecting his distance from that. Um, But once he was aggressive landing, you know, more than one or two punch combos, it seemed like Neil definitely uh, was going to come away with the victory, especially in the later rounds. Statistically, Neil landed 104 total and 54 significant strikes with the takedown compared to Max's 75 total and 67 significant strikes with that knockdown. Now, Neil is on a two fight winning streak. He stays at number nine in the rankings. While Max has his three-fight winning streak come to an end, but I would assume he gets back on the winning path and comes into the rankings here shortly. Uh, but, you know, at the you know mid-30s for both of these fighters, that's a tough loss for Max. He gave it everything he had. Had that impressive knockdown and big shot in round one. You know, debatably round two was somewhat close, but Neil clearly won round three. So that's just the way it goes sometimes. What's next for these guys? I'd love to see Neil Magny take on Jorge Masvidal. I doubt that's a fight that Vidal wants, uh, but maybe Sean Brady, uh, who, who needs to have an opponent booked here soon. And for Max, Trevin Giles or Court McGee would seem sufficient. Either way, both fighters, you got to love their styles. They always show out. Can't wait to see them in the octagon again. And then the shocker of the card, not, you know, a massive shocker, but this sends some ripples for sure. Kai of France with a unanimous decision over Askar Askarov. And what a fucking showing this was for Kai. He clearly knew he was the better and faster striker and was very aggressive in this fight. You know, Askar, he had his moments. He got Kai down round one. He got his back. But Kai was able to fight. He's a ferocious little motherfucker. I'll tell you that much. Um, you know, Askar has been out for some time. So there could be some ring rust that was involved there. But I think the real big difference is Kaya's been active. He's built that confidence over his past few fights. And, um, you know, he really showed off his abilities uh, to to fight fight back from being taken down. Um, but also just the scrambling positions that he has, which these aren't really skills that you just learn or you coach. This is just a natural ability for the fighter. And as a guy that's not a, a, a wrestling offensive, you know, he's not... Offense. his offensive attack isn't wrestling and grappling to be able to defend wrestling like that never let your hips get down onto the mats keep moving find a way to to build your base back up that one point where Askar had Kai lifted up and he's literally balancing somehow in the air without leaning backwards and Askar clearly coming in on top that's the shit that you can't coach and it just makes me feel like Kai is a true contender in this division, which was something that I wasn't super confident on. I had picked Kai over Cody Garbrandt because I assumed Kai's or, uh, Cody's chin is gone at this point, even though he was moving down to flyweight. But I, I really did not think Kai was going to be able to defend the grappling of Askar in this fight. Could he outstrike him? Sure. But I, I was just massively impressed. Statistically, Kai landed 64 total and 51 significant strikes compared to Askar's 37 total and 27 significant strikes. And he only had two takedowns and then had the two submission attempts. So now, man, Kai's on a three-fight winning streak. He moves up four spots to number two in the division, while Askar takes his first ever loss and moves down one spot to number three. He did have a draw against Brandon Moreno, but his first professional loss, bravo, Mr. Kai France. Now, what's next? Well, I think Kai should get the winner of Figgy and Moreno, four. But that's not official. Now there's, you know, Moreno and uh, Figgy are, are asking for Kai. So, potentially, if that, that, you know, whatever the four Pete will say doesn't happen, then I think Figgy's going to take on Kai. And that'll be a fucking fun fight. Striker versus striker. Um, I would like to see the conclusion of Moreno-Figgy, especially now that it you know, supposedly had been booked, but I, I want to be mad about Figgy versus Kai at all. Um, For Asgar, um, if the four peak doesn't happen and Kai does get the opportunity, um, I could see him taking on Brandon Moreno. You know, they did have that draw that never got a rematch. And if not, maybe Alex Perez, because a lot of the other fighters in the division are booked up or he's already beaten. So um, we'll be interesting to see, but these guys are not going to be able to make a decision until... The Figgy Moreno is either official or not. And then a fight that I was kind of talking shit about. Um, just, I felt like some other fights were more deserving of being on the main card. But this one fucking delivered. Uh, Brian Barbarrena with the split decision over Matt Brown. And uh, this one was very controversial. And it, it's really th- kind of the way... I feel like over time, back in the Randy Couture days, you know the the the, the days where wrestling was really dominant, uh, the BJ Penn days, the Matt Hughes days, you know, wrestling first was probably the most dynamic of the martial arts in UFC. I thought that they used to score takedowns and control so much higher than they do today, because there are so many more pronounced martial arts in the UFC. And, you know, wrestlers still are very competitive, but the fans boo it, it doesn't sell, right? If someone's just grappling and wrestling the whole fight like Sarah McMahon did, Carol Rosa, there's not a lot of intrigue there. The UFC is not gonna blow up the way it does. I feel like there's never been a specific rule change on scoring, but somehow the judges, you know, whether it's from Dana or whoever, has changed and manipulated the scoring. The takedowns just aren't worth uh, the same amount and control as they used to be, so... I think there's just a change in the sport. I feel like this needs to be validated. This needs to be spoke upon of how this is truly scored. And the fighters need to understand this because it leads to, you know, crazy outcomes. And to be honest, I mean, the fighter loses because he thought he won and the judges doesn't give it to him. He ain't making any fucking money. All that money he spent for physical therapy to train on his body, to eat right as managers, as coaches, right. He's basically coming home with no money after all that effort, time, and energy spent because the judge's scoring is set up a certain way. So, um, obviously, Ariel Hawani talks about it on the MMAR all the time about open scoring. I'm definitely a proponent of open scoring. Um, I don't think there is really a lose lose situation. Maybe it's something that adapts over time. You know, there's concerns about stalling and different things, but um, I just think it's chaos that these fighters really don't know how the true scoring works. There is no like set in stone ways and they don't know what the outcome is until the judges say it. And clearly the judges have been wrong uh, more than one time. Regardless, um, for all the shit talking I did about this fight, it fucking delivered. Um, Honestly, at first watch, I thought Matt won the fight, but I could understand to my point of the, the wrestling and grappling judging changing over time where Brian gets the nod, you know, Matt did have the takedowns, but they were like simple foot sweeps. They weren't, you know, big takedowns. He didn't have a ton of offense once he got the takedown and he didn't get to do a lot with them. He was just, you know, exerting a ton of energy to get Brian down. And Brian's a tough, durable son of a bitch. Uh, he was taking massive shots from Matt, from Matt, finding a way to give them back. I was very impressed with Brown being able to wrestle like he did and keep going and keep bringing the shots to Brian, especially at his age, especially as a true veteran that he is. You know, what a performance and what a gritty, you know, he he emptied the gas tank for sure. Statistically, Brian landed 186 total and in 111 significant strikes with the reversal compared to Matt's 95 total, 81 significant and five takedowns. I think where Brian truly won the fight was at the end of round three. He almost looked, knocked Matt, da- Matt out. You could tell he was like probably 10 more seconds worth of strikes. Brian would have got the finish. And I think that was the last, you know, thing that the judges could remember. So when it's so close, you know, nobody wants to draw. Well, hey, he finished strong. He damn near knocked him out. You forget about all the takedowns and wrestling that was done round one. And another thing I hate about the scoring it's round per round. It doesn't matter how big round a round is, unless it's 10-8, which that Brian Matt round three was definitely not 10-8 to like warrant. Oh, well this round, we're going to give more credit than the other two. You know what I mean? You see that a lot of the time, especially in the five round main events with the champions. Uh, It's just, it's just a, you know, the same old song and dance. I think it needs to get fixed. Uh, The UFC doesn't care. It's going to sell regardless. Uh, One fighter gets paid more than another, but for the fighters, I feel like that's the people who benefit the most with the scoring change, open scoring, or just you know dialing in what is scored, why, and how, and the judges being better trained or being ex-fighters. I don't know. It needs to be fixed. Well, Brian is now on a two-fight winning streak, while Matt starts a new losing streak, and he has dropped three of his last four fights. When it comes to a fight that's next for these guys... You know, both fighters are up on their contract. So it's going to be interesting to see what the future holds. Uh, Matt offered the idea of a rematch. I I believe that would be the best move for both fighters and the UFC. Um, Brian said if his contract wasn't renewed, he'd retire. So this might be the end, uh, you know, of the path for these guys. It might be an opportunity to get another couple fight contract, have a sweet rematch. We'll see. But either way, bravo to those motherfuckers. That was a... Fun fight to watch. And then moving on, what a performance by Alexa Grasso with the first round submission over Joanne Wood. And, uh, you know, this is the prospect versus, I, I mean, Alexa is not necessarily a prospect, but the up and comer versus a true veteran who's fought for the title a few times. And this fight looked a lot like Joanne's last fight and didn't go the way I expected, as Alexa is typically a striker first. I didn't think she'd be able to get Joanne's back that quickly and get a finish, but it is what it is. A very brutal loss for Joanne, a big boost for Grasso and her career in this new division. Statistically, Alexa landed 61 total and 34 significant strikes compared to Alexa's 50 total and 16 significant strikes with two takedowns and a submission attempt. Now, Alexa is on a three-fight winning streak. She moves up four spots to number five while JoJo is on a three-fight losing streak and hasn't won since January of 2021 and moves down three spots to number 10. So as I said before, a lot of this upper division is booked. um, For JoJo, I could see someone, maybe Sierra Eubanks. For Alexa, how about Minone, who just had the great performance and has jumped way up in the rankings? Or the winner of Lauren Murphy and Misha Tate? Uh, Either way, um, big fights for her up and coming. It's going to be interesting to see what she can do moving forward. How about Mexico? Alexa Grasso, Brandon Moreno getting some fighters. Let's go. Then the main event of the evening, a lot of fights that just went a little bit differently than you would think. Curtis blades with the second round knockout over Chris docus And, uh, wow. Blades wanted to showcase his striking and boy, did he, um, Dacus never looked comfortable in there. You could tell that he was waiting for that takedown attempt. And Blades didn't go even look at it, didn't it, faint one, uh, didn't give a, a, a fake shot or anything. He was so confident in his hands. And uh, Blades was just sitting in the pocket. He looked very comfortable and was throwing that fire. Damn, I was impressed with the striking. Uh, he talked today. Uh, I watched today anyways. I think it was yesterday's MMA hour where he was talking to Ariel about you know, would be out striking an opponent, then go to his wrestling because he had the lead. That's just his natural thought as a wrestler first. And that, that had affected him in some fights and he wanted to just be confident and live with his hands. And, uh, he's given the heavyweight division a whole other thing to think about. Statistically, Curtis landed 30 total and significant strikes with the knockdown compared to Chris's 13 total and significant Curtis blades, uh, Curtis razor blades is now on a two fight winning streak and stays at number four in the rankings. Well, Chris is on a two fight losing streak and stays at number nine in the rankings. So next I would love, love, love to see Curtis blades versus Ty Tuavasa or Tom Aspinall. But again, there isn't a lack of top level talent fights in the heavyweight division with some new, some new faces against some of the, the contenders. And uh, for Chris, I think maybe Walt Harris, who who is on a skin, hasn't fought for a while. Curtis actually recommended on the MMA hour that he he goes down to 205. Will be interesting to see what he thinks about that, but uh, I wouldn't assume that that happens. Again, no fight card this Saturday. Final four, get your nature steps in, do what you got to do. Um, but a weekend off before a massive, massive UFC 273 card on April 9th headlined by Volkanovsky and the Korean Zombie. And I'm going to have to find a sports bar in Portland or buy the fights and watch them later on my phone or on my laptop. I'll be in Portland that Sunday as Jazz Blazers going to go catch the last regular season game. And hopefully the Jazz will talk NBA here in a minute in a better position so I can catch a playoff game. Um, but either way, I'm, a, I'm super pumped for that card. Stay tuned. We'll be talking about that next week. And now to the NBA, the Pelicans extend Jose Alvarado, four-year, $6.5 million contract. In my mind, well-deserved. This is a guy that kind of came out of nowhere. He's playing good defense. He's shooting at a high clip and is a huge piece of this young unit moving forward. Uh, So I'm excited to see guys like that earn those contracts. The key word there is earned, well-earned. For the Celtics, the red-hot Boston Celtics, the team that everyone wrote off last year was a hot mess. The start of this year is a hot mess. Loses Robert Williams for around six weeks with a meniscus injury. Brutal loss for a team that's defense has gone from, you know, mid to late of the pack all the way to the top of the NBA. Um, The Time Lord will be missed by Boston. For the tanking Pacers, a little different situation. Miles Turner out for the year. Uh, he's been battling injuries for quite a while. He finally gets the team without Sabonis. Uh, next year should be a make-or-break year for Mr. Miles Turner. And then Paul George back for the Clippers, and Anthony Davis expected back either Friday or Sunday. So some big-name guys and in in play-in teams, or just in L.A. in general, will be back, and it'll you know be fun for the league uh, as teams that are still in playoff position trying to get their, their A-list players back get healthy for the playoffs. Before we go over this past week's games, this will be my last East-West breakdown. Uh, We're going to talk about the Knicks in the East and the Blazers in the West, and then I will do a NBA power rankings before the playoffs next week. Um, But let's chat a little bit about the Knicks and the Blazers. So the Knicks are 34-42 and Um, right now in the standings. They are in the 11th spot. 11, 12, 13. half, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. They're four and a half out of the play-in with you know six games left. It looks like their season is coming to an end. Brutal, brutal season for New York. Um, when we look at the, the the squad and their health, you know uh, Noel has been battling injuries. Derek Rose has been battling injuries. Probably won't play at this point. Um, newly acquired Cam Reddish is out. Kemba Walker basically ruled out for the season, um, based by coaching decisions. So just that alone is a lot for them to overcome for a team that isn't superstar heavy. When we look at the guys that have been a key part of the team, uh, their two biggest names, RJ Barrett and Julius Randall, right? Julius Randall, a guy that they had acquired RJ Barrett, a guy that they drafted really have thought highly of obviously very high expectations, and with high expectations comes letdown a lot in the NBA. Um, RJ, you know, we talk about his first couple of years in the league. I don't think you're like, holy shit, this is such a great player. He's going to perform at such a high clip. But also people forget that they're young, right? So looking at Julius, he's 27 years old. Um, you know, he was drafted in, in 2014, seventh pick overall by the Lakers. Obviously, that didn't work out that the Lakers kind of. They went through some crazy times over the past few years post Kobe Bryant, but his numbers aren't terrible by any means, but from what they've seen of him in New York, I would say they're probably expecting a little bit more. He averaged 20 points per game, 10 rebounds, so he averaged a double, double, double and 5.1 assists per game. When we look at how that compared to last year, he averaged 24 points, 10.2 rebounds, uh, shooting wise, he shot 41% from three. This year, he's shooting 30% from three. It's so almost 6% less. But I think the overall performance of the Knicks and the health of the Knicks has led to that. You know, last year was career high numbers. The year before, he was averaging 19.5 and 9.7. So more similar to what he did this year. Now, um, again, I, I wouldn't say that he is having a terrible season, but he's shown to do better. Overall, he's shooting 41%, right? That should be his three-point numbers. Last year, he was shooting just shy of 46%. He shot as high as 55.8% with the Lakers in 17-18, but obviously wasn't quite as you know demanding from, from a team standpoint. Um, so he's played well, but not going to play the level where you're top of the East, where some people maybe have thought they could be. Uh, RJ Barrett also averaging 20 points per game, 5.9 rebounds, 2.9 assists, when we look at that and how that compares to his uh, previous two seasons, you know, th- these are all-time highs. So uh, he's definitely improving, right? Again, people forget these players are young. He's 21 years old. He is just now legal to drink, and people may have written him off, especially in New York, all the media coverage, all the masses that give feedback to players like this. I, I mean, these are these are empowering numbers if you're, if you're the Knicks organization. His rookie year, he averaged 14 points. Went to 17, now 20. Um, When we look at three-point percentage, that's definitely dipped. Uh, He was at 40% the year prior. He went down to 34.7% this year. And overall from the field, he's at 41%. Um, But it's a guy that does a lot. He's definitely come hot later, you know, the second half of the season post-All-Star break. I would say he was, you know, somewhat struggling pre-All-Star break. But these are promising signs when you look at what is the future for the Knicks since they're not making the playoffs this year. A guy that's not long term with the team, a guy I know very well as a Jazz fan, Alec Burks, the 30 year old shooting guard, uh, with the Kemba Walker situation was kind of forced into the starting lineup. He did pretty well. You know, I'm always rooting for this guy to be successful. I liked him in Colorado, liked him with the Jazz. It just never worked out. He's averaging 11.5 points, 4.7 rebounds, 2.8 assists. When we look at you know what he did last year with the Knicks, it's a little bit lower. Again, I think just like Julius's numbers, the byproduct of the core group, the role players that you have, and just the overall performance has led to that dip in numbers. Uh, but a solid piece for them. They traded for Evan Fournier from Boston. He's averaging 14 points, 2.6 rebounds, 2.1 assists, which aren't very great compared to his career averages. But also he is you know right about 30 years old, trying to find a, a fit with the team. Um, I'm not sure what his contract situation is. Let's see. According to track, four years, 73 million. So he's going to be signed until 2025. So he's got at least three more years with the Knicks. So he's going to be there for a while. RJ Barrett's going to be there for a while. You would assume Julius Randle's there. And then a lot of the other pieces are in question outside Emmanuel manual. Quickly, who's come on towards the later half of this year when injuries, with you know, the Kemba Walker situation, some injuries has put him into playing time more. Uh, he's only 22, you know, very quick, athletic, explosive guard out of Kentucky. We remember his days in Kentucky. 10.6 points per game, 2.9 rebounds, 3.2 assists. Uh, last year, he actually had a little bit higher at 11.4, but a guy that I think you give minutes can uh, uh, grow into something. He's just a little undersized. And then they have Quentin Grimes, who's also pretty young, 21 years old, right? Coming out of Houston. Uh, He's averaging 6.1 points per game in his rookie season. Regardless, though, they have some young names. I think the biggest miss in their lineup that they really could use some more from is Obi Toppin, right? He's 24 years old. This is a second season, 7.7 points, 3.6 assists. Um, That's a three-point increase from his 4.1 average last year. and He's not much of a shooter, um, so yeah, I mean, they're lacking star power. I think, uh, RJ Barrett's improving, you know, they these guys are still young. They're uh, a few years away from por- performing at a high level. And then they have Mitchell Robinson, uh, um, who is surprisingly young. I did not think he was 23 years old, averaging 8.5 assists, 8.6 rebounds per game, uh, which are about his career averages in his fourth year. I am honestly shocked by that number. See, I'm one of the guys that's just, you know, I figured he's been in the league quite a while. He's underperforming. There's just so much expectations for these young guys before they're even matured into adults in the NBA. It it is bonkers. Um, He is signed. He is actually a free agent next year off his rookie contract. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. I expect lots of changes moving forward with the Knicks, including the coaching job. You know, this is a very... Um, typical, um, lineup. Let's see. Blaking on his name for uh, Tom Thibodeau. I mean, Taj Gibson's there, right? A typical Knicks lineup. Um, I expected this team to get into the play-in though. I figured they would perform, uh, uh, high enough to get in and, and clearly that hasn't been the case. So, uh, what a disappointing season for the Knicks, but I'm not very surprised, honestly. When we look at the Blazers, um, this was kind of uh, the reset button, right? Didn't it start at the beginning of the season. It had come through the trade deadline and and further out. Uh, this is a team that had gone to the Western Conference Finals and overperformed, in my opinion. But this was a fun team to watch. You know, as a Jazz fan, I go to Portland games to watch any Jazz games because they're close. Or you know, Luka Doncic, Giannis, or someone's coming to town. I try to go to Portland and check them out. And the, the fan base loved the team, but it was never going to be a championship team. That's just the truth in the pudding. And I'm definitely in denial of that as a Jazz fan. I thought Rudy Gobert, Bojan Bogdanovic, Mike Conley, and Donovan Mitchell could win an NBA championship. And this season is clearly showing that they can't. And sadly, an off-season or start a season to trade deadline of next year will probably look a lot very similar to what the Blazers had done unless they find a way to get their shit together in the playoffs. And I just don't expect they would. they would have to bare minimum make the Western Conference Finals to get there. So sorry to make the Blazers segment tied to the Jazz, but it's very they're very similar teams in that regard. As much as I hate to say it. So when we just look at this from an injury standpoint, they're obviously tanking, trying to get higher draft picks. They traded for Joe Ingles. jingling Joe, baby, one of my favorite Jazz players to ever wear the uniform. Um, that was literally just a, a move to get rid of some salary, right? Uh, Joe Ingles may not actually play a game for them and may return to Utah next year. Who knows? Uh, Cody Zeller got waived. Nazir Little went through a torn labrum surgery. Justice Winslow was out before he got traded. I guess, is he still on the team? I can't even keep track of the guy. Nope, he is on the Blazers. So he's been hurt. Uh, They did trade for him. Anthony Simons got shut down after having a really good part of part of the season. Uh Josh Hart's out for a little while. A guy that's been one of their you know, I think this is mostly just, hey, let's let's go let's go to next season. Um Eric Bledsoe had been out with an Achilles injury. Uh so injury wise, obviously they traded CJ McCollum. They've gone through quite a bit. Um when we look at who they're playing today, which we probably won't talk too much about. It's probably the worst starting five in the NBA today. That's Brandon Williams. Most people probably don't know of him. Um, He's 22 years old out of Arizona. He's a rookie. Josh Hart, who's not playing anymore. So CJ Ellaby is the starter. Um, CJ Ellaby is 21 years old out of Washington State. He's a Coug. Um, This is his second season. Justice Winslow, not playing, probably, again, bench. So, Elijah Hughes, ex-Jazz player. Keon Johnson as well. Uh, Trendon Watford out. Greg Brown, questionable. So, you know, maybe Chris Dunn's in there. And then they have Drew Eubanks, um, who comes from Oregon State. So, yeah, their, their five is not, you know, anything to be crazed about. And I feel like they're going to add a lot of different people to the squad next season. Um. Obviously, Dame has been out and probably wasn't going to return because of you know just the 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 circumstance of the season. When we look at the standings, the Blazers are in the 12th spot in the West. They're half a game out from Sacramento to fall further back, and I'm assuming they're going to want Sacramento to pass them up. They have 27 wins, which would put them at a pretty decent spot in the lottery. So. When I look at this next year, I'm sure Justice Winslow, Josh Hart, who have been new acquisitions, will be there as role players, but maybe not starters. Same with Anthony Simons. He's a huge piece for them moving forward. Um, They'll have Dame Lillard in at point guard, and they're going to look to acquire a big-name player or some other players that could fit with this team. Uh, But this team is kind of a hodgepodge mess, and it's been a a blow-it-up type season for them. And I'm interested to see what Dame in the front office wants to do moving forward to keep Portland relevant. But yeah, I mean, uh, just clipping it, you know, clipping in at the standings where they are today, and then we'll talk about what's happened in this past week of games. Uh, the East, I mean, it's been very tight at the top all season long. There's a four and a half game separation from first to six, which separates you from, you know, having a locked in uh, seed or having a play-in game situation. Uh, Miami is a ge- half a game up on the Bucks for number one right now. Boston's a game back from uh, Miami, half a game back from Milwaukee. And then uh, the Sixers are in the fourth spot currently, a game and a half back. So quickly, let's just preview what these guys have left and make some little guesses because each position here is going to be brutal. I mean, think about it. If you're the four team, you you play the Bulls five. If you're the three, you're playing Toronto. I think I'd way rather play Toronto than Chicago. Either way, home court, that's a big deal. Um, but two and seven, you're playing some of these playing games. Brooklyn is a playing team should be a playing team at number eight. So also, you know, do you really want to be playing Brooklyn? You know, like, I don't know. It's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, and these teams are going to be jockeying for position a a little bit, but Miami does play at Boston today, big game at Chicago, at Toronto, three game road trip, all teams right there uh, with them in the standings home against Charlotte, Atlanta, at Orlando. So they should win the last three. These next three road games are going to be a huge a huge test. I would assume you'd want the one seed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, Milwaukee, looking at the rest of their schedule. At Brooklyn, home against the Clippers and Mavs. At Chicago, home against the Celtics at the Pistons and Cavs. Um, the way Milwaukee's playing, they could run the table here, but I would expect a loss or two. So I would assume, uh, Miami probably has a better chance at uh, getting the one seed, but things are as interesting with Boston. You know, how much is the time Lords absence from the roster going to make a difference? When we look at their schedule, that game against Miami that could, you know, put them right there. They're they, uh, home against Indiana, Washington, Ash, Chicago, Milwaukee, and Memphis. Memphis might not care about that last season of the game. Last game of the season, excuse me. So they potentially could win all. I mean, the, the Miami game is going to be a huge one today as long as, you know, assuming both teams are, are bringing in their starters and, and a healthy roster. Um, at Milwaukee will be interesting as well. But the Boston, I feel like Boston has just as good a chance to get in the one seed right now as the others. Looking at the Sixers. At Detroit, home against Charlotte, at Cleveland, at Indiana, at Toronto, home against Indiana and Detroit. Right, they have the easiest schedule of them all, so it's going to be a wild fucking finish for the top of the East. It's going to be fun, and it's going to make uh, basketball, you know, worthy of tuning in to see what's going on, see what potential matchups are. Because again, remember, you you get the lower end of the four, five, six. You're going to be playing the one seed earlier, depending on who that is. But everyone is going to be trying to avoid Boston, or uh, not Boston, uh, Brooklyn. So it, it makes things super interesting there. The West a little bit different. There is more separation. Um, The three seed to the six seed is only a three game difference. So that that's pretty close, but the top two are are pretty much defined. And then the play in teams are defined as well. The Lakers are one. Well, technically they're tied with the Spurs, but the Spurs have a tiebreaker against them. You know, I would assume they find a way in, especially with AD coming back, uh, which would be on a byproduct of the Spurs. Most likely that would be honestly hilarious. If the Lakers couldn't find a way in, I mean, let's just look at this now. The Lakers have at Utah, no AD, LeBron questionable. If LeBron plays the way the Jazz are playing, I mean, the the Lakers have a shot, sad to say, but it is what it is. Um, At Pelican, or home against Pelicans, again, no AD. LeBron should play for that one. That's that's, that's still a tough game. Um, Most of their games are primetime, by the way. TNT Thursday, NBA, ABC, NBA TV, TNT Um, but very tough at Phoenix at Golden State home against the Thunder at Denver. So, you know, AD being back, how healthy is he? LeBron being back again, how healthy is he? He's demanded so much. I mean, he is the king. He is the goat, but he is human. He's 37 years old with a lot of wear and tear on those tires. Really have no idea what what San Antonio is wanting to do here. Uh, but they're on a four-game win streak, all on the road. They have a nice little home stretch against the Grizz, two against Portland, at Denver, at Minnesota, home against the Golden State, and at Dallas. Those last couple of games are going to be wild. But that you know, they they have a easier schedule than the Lakers, so it very well could be that the Lakers don't make the play-in. I wouldn't bet against it, uh bet on it, but I wouldn't be surprised either. Just with that that that, that Spurs schedule, so. Shit is going to get tight. Maybe the Pelicans fall out. Let's see what they got. At Portland, at LA for Clippers and Lakers. At Sacramento, home against Portland, at Memphis. Well, they have a very tough schedule. Home against Golden State to end it. So maybe the Pelicans fall out, the Spurs and the Lakers get in. Uh, but either way, it makes it makes the West fun, right? Um I would assume that the Warriors and the the, the Mavericks battle out for the three and four seed. The Jazz, I have no confidence in whatsoever at this point. Uh, Sure, they were on a road trip. Sure, they've had injuries. There's a lot of excuses that could be made, but contenders find a fucking way. I mean, Jesus Christ. Losing five of six on the road trip, very brutal. Most of their games are home. Lakers home tomorrow, Thursday, At Golden state home against the Grizz thunder and Phoenix at Portland. Those are tough teams. We're going to learn a lot about them over this next stretch of games. It looks like Bojan and um, Eddie house are going to be back to the lineup soon. Uh, Trent Forrest just had a concussion. Who knows what's going on with him as a healthy team. There is opportunity. I'm hoping that they just find a way to win out, get a better seed, and prove everyone wrong in the playoffs. But my confidence is at an all time low. Um, and the Mavericks are looking scrappy. They're finding a way. Dinwiddie's a great piece of the team. Denver Nuggets, you know, what's going on with their role players? Are they going to get him back? Michael Porter Jr., injury update. Nuggets star suffers setback from injury uh, we t- six hours ago. So he's probably not coming back. Um, Jamal Murray. The last news on Jamal was March 20th, so 10 days ago. Possibility he could go back down to Grand Rapids for some practice. Yeah, I mean, doesn't seem likely. So... Yeah, it's just regardless, it's going to be a wild finish. It's going to be fun. And uh, I'm excited to see how things shake out because this is so open. I talked about it last year, open league this year, even more open, you know, debatably in my mind, Brooklyn's still the scariest team, but any team has a chance and that makes sports so much fun. That's why the NFL in my mind is the top dog. It's just hard to repeat. Um, And uh, every year brings new situations. But let's talk what's unrolled since last week. Raptors putting themselves in a good position, beating the Cavs in Toronto without any fans. Um, one seventeen to one o four. The Raptors were led by Pascal Siakam thirty five five and six. This guy has been eating. Uh, plus nine on the day. The Cavaliers had one two three four five six players in double digits, but Laurie Markkinen led the way twenty points. On 10 shots. Pretty good line for Lori. And I love to see him doing his thing. Because he had a tough stretch there for a while. That is for sure. And then the Suns beating the Nuggets in the mile high. 140 to 130. The Nuggets just not very good at playing defense. It's been a known thing. But 140. Sheesh. Obviously Chris Paul's back. But Devin Booker putting up 49 and 10 at a plus 16. On 25 shots. This guy's just, he's increasing his levels. He's really performing, and uh, he plays like this. The Suns could win an NBA championship. The Nuggets had all five starters in double digits, seven players in double digits, including Bones Highland for 23 off the bench, uh, but Nikola Jokic leading the way 28, 6 and 6, the only way the former MVP knows how. Last Friday, The Jazz losing to the Hornets on the road. Surprise, surprise. 107 to 101. Uh, The Jazz shot 36% from three, uh, which is a little bit lower than their season average. Donovan Mitchell had 26 and seven, but on 21 shots, four of 11 from three. The Hornets had three players over 20 points and were led by Miles Bridges, who had 26 and 11 on 15 shots. Nice line from Mr. Bridges. Tough loss for the Jazz. I was hot at that point. The Hawks beating the Warriors in Atlanta. No Steph Curry. They did have Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. They were led by Klay Thompson, who had a whopping 37-7. and seven. He was 9-16 from 3, while the Hawks were led by Ice Trey, 33-15, 4-9 from 3, 33 points on 20 shots. Danilo Gallinari with a nice little line, too, with 25 points. Huge win for the Hawks. The Timberwolves beating the Mavericks in Minnesota. Watch out. The Timberwolves are sneaky good. They won 116-95. to They were led by Cat, uh, who had 20-9. Um, but all five starters were in double digits, seven players in double digits. The Mavs were led by Luka Doncic, who had 24-10-8. Cold night shooting for Luka, 24 points on 18 shots. Tough loss for the Mavs. Then the Sixers blowing out the Clippers in L.A. This is pre-Paul George return. The Sixers were led by James Harden, 29-15-7. Joel Embiid with a nice 27-10 and 10 and plus 23 on the night. And then the Clippers were led by someone you would not expect, but Amir Kofi, 21 points to lead the way for the Clips. Um, the PG-less Clips, I guess we'll say. On Saturday, the Spurs beating the Pelicans in New Orleans, 107-103. That's a that was a big game for the for the standings. Uh, the Spurs led by uh, the guy that shocked me when we broke him down. A lot better season than I thought he was having. Keldon Johnson, 21 and 8, although that was on 17 shots and one of five shooting. But the Spurs have seven players in double digits. For the Pelicans, it was all C.J. McCollum, 32, six and four on 25 shots. Moving on. The Nets beating the Heat in Miami, 110 to 95. Miami had Jimmy, Bam, Duncan, Kyle, Tyler Hero, they had a full healthy squad. That is what Brooklyn can do with a full healthy squad as well. KD 23 points to lead the way. Miami was led by Bam Adebayo who had 14 and 6. Um, so no one really, they shot 29% from three, 44% from the field. That sums it up. The Grizzlies beating the Bucks in Memphis without John Morant and a healthy Bucks team. Very, very impressive. Those Grizz sneaky as well. Uh, the, the Greek freak led Milwaukee in defeat 30 points, 11 rebounds. Nice, efficient line from the Greek freak. The Grizz were led by, uh, Desmond Bain, who had 20 points on 19 shots. Actually, DeAnthony Melton had 24 uh, off the bench. Six of nine from three. Nice line from DeAnthony. Uh, the Grizz show how deep they are. They had two, four, five players in double digits. Two points away from having seven players in double digits. Big win for Memphis at home. Heading into Sunday. The Mavericks beating the Jazz in Dallas. The Jazz were without Rudy Gobert, and uh, obviously, um, that impacted them, to say the least. The Jazz were led by Rudy Gay off the bench, 18-8. Good to see him going, though. Uh, while the Mavericks were led by Luka Doncic, 32-10. Uh, Reggie Bullock also had 23.711 from three. Another loss for the Jazz on the road. The Celtics beating the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, 134-112 to in Boston. The Timberwolves were led by Anthony Edwards, who had 24, 6, and 5. He was 5 of 9 from 3. While Jason Tatum snapped for 34, 6, and 5, 5 of 11 from 3 on 21 shots. Have a day, sir. Jalen Brown also 31 and 10. The Celtics keep rolling. The Wizards beating the Warriors in Washington, 123-115. Of course, no Steph Curry. Uh, The Warriors were led by Jordan Poole with 26 points on 25 shots, 1 of 10 from 3. Wiggins chipped in for 23. Klay Thompson, 25 on 22 shots. The Wizards with a little bit of defense here. Uh, Three players over 20 points for the Wizards. Corey Kispert, 25 points, 6 of 9 from 3. Porzingis with 23, 9, and 6, although that was on 21 shots and 1 of 6 from 3. And KCP chipping in 22 points as well. Big win for the Wizards. The Suns beating the Sixers 114-104 in Phoenix. The Suns were led by Devin Booker. 35 points. He stays red hot. Uh, For the 76ers, Joel Embiid 37-5. He had a valiant effort, but it wasn't enough. James Harden only 14 points on 11 shots. The Pelicans beating the Lakers in New Orleans. Tough loss for the Lakers. LeBron James played. Obviously, AD not back. The King LeBron, 39 and nine, and he was seven of 13 from three. Uh, the Pelicans led by Brandon Ingram, ex-Laker, 26, seven and five uh, to lead the way. They had f- five starters and double digits for the Pelicans. Brutal loss for the Lakers, especially when the standings were that close. And then the Hornets beating Brooklyn in Brooklyn, a healthy Brooklyn team. Big shocker there. The Hornets shot 53% from three. That'll do it. Uh, they were led by LaMelo Ball, who had 33 7 and 9. He was 7 of 12 from three. This young man is only 20 years old. Sheesh. The Nets led by uh, KD 27 8 of seven, but on 24 shots, he was 3 of 11 from three. Trying to match LaMelo, probably. Start of this week on Monday the Nuggets beating the Hornets in Charlotte. 113, 109. The the Hornets on back to back games couldn't couldn't find a way to come through. Their three point percentage drops from 53 to 31 percent. That'll happen in the NBA. Uh, Nikola Jokic 29, 19, and 11 for the big triple double in the victory. The Hornets led by Miles Bridges 27 and 11, but on 22 shots. The Knicks beating the Bulls in New York 109, 104. The Bulls have been on a little bit of a skid of late. Uh, Alec Burks, 27-6. That's what I'm talking about. 5 of 10 from 3 to lead New York. Chicago had DeMar DeRozan, 37-7-6. DeMar tried to will the team, but he couldn't do it. Let's see. What are the Bulls in their last 10? They're 4-6. Heesh. Teams avoiding the play-in. The Bulls, 4-6. The Jazz, 4-6. The Nuggets, 5-5. the Warriors, 4 and 6. Uh, the Heat, 4 and 6. How are the Heat, 4 and 6 in the last 10? Still up number one. That's crazy. The Raptors beating the Celtics in Toronto. Huge win for the Raptors, 115, 112. They were led by Siakam, who straight snapped for 40 points and 13 rebounds. Um, six players in double digits for the Raptors. While the uh, Celtics were led by Marcus Smart, who had 28 and 10. But on 26 shots, 2 of 11 from 3. The Grizzlies beating the Warriors in Memphis handily, 123 to 95. The Warriors were led by Jordan Poole at 25 and 5. The Grizz were led by uh, Desmond Bain who had 22 points. They keep winning without Ja Morant. Are you kidding me? They are 9 and 1 in their last 10 without Ja Morant. See John Morant's ETA reevaluated in two weeks. This was on the 27th, so that would be it'd be right by the postseason. They might be starting the postseason without John Morant, but apparently it doesn't matter. It's impressive how the youngsters on that team have leveled up. Last night, I was going to shoot the pod. Last night, I wanted to watch the Jazz. I wanted to watch the the Avalanche versus the versus Calgary. The Avs pulled through, true contenders. The Jazz blew a 25-point lead. I literally went to bed disgusted, disgusted. Well, the Clips beat them 121-115. They were led by Paul George. Welcome back, Paul. 34 points, 6 of 9 from 3 in 31 minutes. Also had 6 assists and 4 steals. Um, the Jazz were led by Donovan Mitchell, 33 points on 21 shots, 0 of 4 from 3, also had 6 turnovers, most of those from Paul George. Turnover's been a big issue. Huge game here, the Bucks beating the Sixers in Philly, 118 to 116 down to the wire. Milwaukee was led by former MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. Antakupu, Antakupu, it's so hard to say. Uh, Forty points, fourteen rebounds, six assists on twenty-four shots. The Sixers were led by James Harden, who had thirty-two nine and five. Uh, Joel Embiid with a nice twenty-nine seven and fourteen in defeat. Also yesterday, the Mavericks beating the Lakers one twenty-eight to one ten. No LeBron, no AD. The Lake Show was led by Malik Monk, twenty-eight points, six of ten from three, and the Mavs led by Luka Doncic triple double, thirty-four. 12 and 12 have a day. So as we look at it today, again, huge game, heat Celtics, big game, Cavaliers, Mavericks, Knicks, Hornets. I guess that's not as big <laughs> Suns, warriors, Grizz and Spurs. So we have a lot of big games heading into the weekend. We won't chat about them all, but that NBA baby, it is turning up. I'll tell you about what's turning up though. March madness, we went from 16 down to eight, down to four, and in most of my bracket pools, I'm still in the money, but I need a Villanova win. Brutal, brutal news, though. Justin Moore, with an Achilles injury, going to be out for the year. The only thing that I could think think of as a benefit in this situation is that maybe potentially he returns next season to Villanova to make him that much more deadly, but the odds of that pretty slim. When I look at my bracket in the sweet sixteen, I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven of sixteen teams. And the elite eight, I had one, two. Three, four, five, six of eight. The brutal thing was Kansas beating Providence. I had Providence winning that game. So bracket wise, not looking too bad. But let's revert to the sweet 16 on Thursday. Villanova, Michigan scrapped, but Villanova won 63 to 55 Again, that Villanova defense has been suffocating, playing very Jay Wright-like ball. The problem is they're three-pointers. They're only shooting 30% this game. They haven't been shooting lights out like they've had. Um, when you looked at their better stars, Colin Gillespie, 4 of 10. Caleb Daniels off the bench, 0 of 5. But regardless, Villanova was led by my favorite player, Jalen Samuels, 22 and 7. Love to see him pop off during the conference tournaments. I talked about how they're going to need a lot from him. And he's really delivered. Love to see it. Michigan, clearly led by Hunter Dickinson. 15 and 15. That was on 16 shots. He was 0 of 3 from 1. How about that? Nova Nation. The Hogs with the upset. The Razorbacks beat Gonzaga. Gonzaga chokes again. Are you surprised? Well, I am not. Looking at it. Arkansas shot 28% from 3 but held Gonzaga to 23%, 37% from the field. The Hogs were led by their star, J.D. Note, 21 points, 6 assists, 6 rebounds. It's a stacked line in college, although it was on 29 shots and 2 of 12 from 3. Gonzaga was led by Drew Timmy, who had 25 points on and 7 rebounds on 19 shots. What an upset. A number 1 seed goes down. If that wasn't enough, the Houston squad... Takes down Arizona. These were the two teams that I said were overrated all year. Um, You know, they ended up playing each other. They had a pretty easy side of the bracket. But Houston just showed how overrated Arizona really was. They win 72 to 60. They win handily. Arizona shoots 33% from the field and 31% from three. Houston shoots 46% from the field, 45% from three. Houston was led by um, their star, their super senior, Jamal Shedd, excuse me, not super senior, their sophomore, Jamal Shedd, 21 and 6. And for Arizona, they were led by Dalen Terry, who had 17 and 6. Coloco only had 10 points. Mathurin, 15 points on 14 shots. Brutal game for their star player, the Pac 12 player of the year. And then to, to end up the, the first night of the Sweet 16, Duke escapes Texas Tech. Again, how was Texas Tech favored? I am not too sure, but Duke showed they were the better team. Um, they shot 51% from the field, 36.8% from three against one of the better defensive teams in the league. And Paolo led the way with 22 points on 12 shots, three of four from three, all five starters in double digits, while um, Texas Tech was led by their star, um, Bryson Williams, the senior transfer, uh, 21 points on 16 shots. Duke and Coach K live on. So does my champion. I have Duke over Nova in the championship. Going into Friday, Kansas beats Providence in a very scrappy game. I figured that this, you know, I put all my parlays at Providence seven and a half plus seven and a half. I won them. I think it was six points, yeah, or five points was a, was what the the winning victory was. But the problem for Providence wasn't their defense. It was them shooting. They shot 33.8% from the field and 17% from three. But they held Kansas to 39% and 14% from three. They tried to battle back after a big lead that Kansas had at half, and they gassed out. Um, they were led by Al Durham. He had 21-7, and seven, but on 18 shots. Uh, Kansas was led by Remy Martin off the bench, 23-7. Um... Big win for Kansas, but you know, damn near busting my bracket. And then the Peacocks on fricking Peacock day, this couldn't be scripted or could it, but the big 10 continues to choke their way out of the tournament. They beat the third ranked Purdue Boilermakers. A lot of people had Purdue going to the final four championship. I had them in my final four. The Peacocks win again. Um, they hold Purdue to 23% from three. Um, Let's see. The Peacocks were led by Daryl Banks, the third who had 14 points on 14 shots. He was of four from three. So this wasn't a pretty game from it for, for any team. Um, and then Travion Williams led the Boilermakers off the bench with 16 and eight. Zach Eady held to 11 points. Jaden Ivy, nine points on 12 shots. He did have eight rebounds, one of six from three. They shut him down. They get the win. Massive, massive upset. What a sweet 16 round Two number ones on Thursday. The peacock, Peacock's move on. Then the blue blood game, uh, North Carolina beating UCLA 73 to 66 UCLA was up the entire game. Um, North Carolina find a way to make big shots at the end of the game, including Caleb love who had 30 points, six of 13 from three to lead the Tar Heels to the elite eight. And UCLA had four of their five in double digits, but their leading scorer was Jules Bernard, who had 16 points. Tiger Campbell had 15 points. Juzang had 14 points on 13 shots. And Hawkes Jr., obviously probably dealing with that ankle injury, 10 points on 18 shots, 0 for 3 from 3. Miami beating Iowa State in the 10-11 seed Sweet 16 Uh, We knew that uh, Iowa State could struggle to score, but Miami and their super seniors lived on what a performance by Cameron McGusty, 27 and six on 18 shots. He was four of seven from three, while Iowa State pitiful day shooting 18% from three. They were living on that uh, shot throughout the tournament. Tyrese Hunter had 13 points on 14 shots. Isaiah Brockington, 11 on 15 shots and one from four from three. Miami moves on. Last week, I had picked Villanova, Gonzaga, so I was one and one. Um, Houston, or no, I did pick Arizona, one and two. I picked Duke, two and two. Kansas, or uh, Providence, so two and three. Purdue, two and four. Uh, UCLA, two and five. Miami, I was three and five in picks. From the show the past week, so the sweet sixteen, straight chaos. Heading into Saturday, Elite Eight. I was watching uh the Villanova game at a sports bar downtown, and because Villanova easily, in my opinion, beat Houston, I got a little tuned up, uh headed to Supercross and was just a little extra tuned up at Supercross, we'll say the least. Um, but Villanova, defensive first victory, fifty to forty-four, beats Houston. Um, they held Houston to 5% from three, one of 20. Can you believe that they only shot 23.8% from three and 28, uh, percent from the field themselves, but they were led by Jalen Samuels. Again, 16 points, 10 rebounds, having a tournament while, uh, Houston was led by Taze Moore who had 15 and 10 on 21 shots. One of five from three. I was one to know there, baby. And then Duke beating the Hogs pretty handily, 78-69. Um, to 69. Duke was led by A.J. Griffin, who had 18 points on nine shots. Very efficient game from him. And Paolo had 16-7 on 11 shots, 1-2 from three. Coach K and Duke moves on, which leads us to the last action on Sunday. Kansas easily handling Miami. Um, I'm not as high on Kansas as a lot of other people, but, yeah, I mean, it's a 10-seed uh, a team that most people had losing in the first round. Uh, they only shot 14% from three, but Miami was led by McGusty again, who had 18 points on 17 shots. He was 0 for 4 from three. While um, the Jayhawks were led by Okai Abaji, who had 18 points on 12 shots, two of two from three, finally getting things going. Uh, Daniel McCormack with 15 points, and uh, Remy Martin only had nine and six off the bench. But the Jayhawks move on, and the Peacock run comes to an end as they get blown out by the Tar Heels, 69-49. to 49. They shot 25% from three and 30% from the field, uh, the Peacocks did. And they were led this time by Fusani Drame, who had 12-7, and seven, while North Carolina was led by um, Armando Beko, who had 20-22. and 22. Sheesh! um manic also had 19 and 8 uh love had 14 on 17 shots so he cooled down a little bit but they didn't need him which sets us up for this weekend the final four obviously there's a damper with the um injury to villanova you know that's our number two player in my mind behind uh gillespie uh can they make up for it i'm not too sure I do think they do have a chance. You know, it's only a four and a half point spread. I think that's a pretty good spread. Over unders 133. I'd hammer the under. I think it's going to be a very scrappy game. Villanova is going to force Kansas to um, a- a- attack them, slash them, get in foul trouble potentially. But Villanova is really lacking depth. It looks like the younger Archie Diacono, uh, his older brother, a Villanova a superstar, a-, a guy that's still battling his way in the NBA. Might get some more minutes. I wouldn't mind seeing uh, some other young players that that are going to be role players for Nova next year, potentially getting an opportunity. Um, but you you know you know Jay Wright doesn't let uh, everybody get into the to the lineup. But Brian Antoine, uh, he's a guy that was really highly touted. You know that could really step in if Chris Ar- Archie Diacono is struggling a little bit. But I'm sure they like the idea of Chris playing. You know he's a guy that. Uh, plays clean basketball turnover, uh, doesn't turn it over a lot. Maybe Jordan Longino gets in a little bit more, uh, but replacing Justin Moore is not going to be easy. This guy is a certified stud. Um, And then the nightcap for Saturday, Duke, North Carolina. Could you write a better script if you are the big network selling a blue blood final four, all four squads, the Duke, North Carolina rivalry after North Carolina wins in... um, Uh, wins on the road in coach k's last game i'm definitely taking duke i'm going to be biased and take villanova they found a way to beat kansas before they can do it again it's not going to be easy without justin moore but holy shit do we have a fun final four that nova win will will cash me in some money baby as long as nova and duke wins i'm not as worried about the duke win i'm making some money so let's get it can't wait march madness what a year it was we knew it was going to be crazy i loved every moment of it and i'm not surprised it's down to a blue blood final four without gonzaga regardless let's talk a little bit of supercross um you know i got to see this in person the seats weren't as good as they usually were i was in a corner end zone seat which is usually great because you could see like triple into a whoop section well this year they reversed the the course on us and we were by the starting gate and then you had the finish. So all you could see is the the, the racers go on the start, and then all the, the back and forth of the tracks on the far end that you can't see because the gate, and then you could see the finish line. So the seats were kind of a bummer. Probably should have just got out of the seats and moved, but I was so fucked up at the time. Uh, but either way, the one thing that I was stoked about was avoiding major rain. The forecast all day, it was supposed to rain. It sprinkled a little bit because when it gets really wet in these races, they can't triple-double. They're just mobbing over... Over the the jumps, so uh, we avoided the major rain, but it was the same old song and dance in Seattle. Eli Tomac with the fucking victory. Um, in the two fifty, it was back to the West Riders, which was great. So seeing Hunter Lawrence returning to dominance was a lot of fun. I love me some Lawrence brothers. The two fifty finished with Lawrence first, Christian Craig second, Michael Mostman third, Joe Shimoda fourth, Vince Freese fifth. Back into the two fifty. And Garrett Marchbakes in sixth. So the leaders at this point is Christian Craig, 171. Hunter Lawrence in second. Obviously, he missed some races at 145. And Mostman in third at 141, four points back. Uh, typical Tomac in the 450. The last time he won, uh, I watched the last time I watched a live race he won. Um, he he loves him some Seattle. Really, this race was all about the battle of uh, Jason Anderson. Uh, Malcolm Stewart and Justin Barsha and the way it rolled out Tomac first Anderson second Muskan with another podium at third Malcolm Stewart just shy of the podium fourth Barsha right behind at fifth Cooper Webb six and Dean Wilson seven so as we look at the points now Anderson or Tomac way ahead at 288 Anderson second 227 Barsha's in third five back at 222 Malcolm Stewart fourth one back of Barsha at 221 And, uh, Cooper Webb fifth at two Oh eight probably can't catch Anderson and Stewart unless some crazy collapses happen. But this weekend we have round 13 of 17 in St. Louis. It's the last triple crown. I love me some triple crown. We'll really give these guys in the mix an opportunity to separate themselves or fall back if, if disaster strikes. Um, it's actually, I apologize, not this Saturday. There's a week off of Supercross just like there is UFC. This is happening April 9th so they get a week off uh rest, relax, get get, get ready for a huge Triple Crown race in St. Louis, April 9th. In MLB news, there was some more uh contracts. Uh Arizona getting a big payday and signing C- Cattell Marte to a 5-year, 76 million dollar contract. The ex-Mariner playing well in the desert, getting paid. Uh the Reds sign um ex, you know, a guy that did really well uh, a few years ago in the outfield, Tommy fan to a one year deal. And then the Rockies get Randall Grechuk and cash from the Blue Jays for I to Pia and Adrian Pinto. So giving a reliever to the Blue Jays, getting Randall Greechuk and Ga- and some cash in return. The Angels uh, making Max Stassi the cornerstone catcher for the next few years, giving him a three-year, $17.5 million contract, a guy I believe that's very deserving, a guy that's a very underrated catcher. His offense has really um, took off since he he's left Houston. And then the Twins signing Chris Archer, one-year, $3.5 million. You know, This is a guy that showed very high potential, has battled injuries, but uh, not a high cost for a potential high reward. You know, as an Angels fan, I wish we would have uh, would give him a $3.5 million contract. Albert Poolholes, AP number five back in St. Louis, announces that this will be his last year. He wants to win a championship with Yachty and um, um, Wainwright. You know, get Wainwright, Yachty, and Pujols one last run. He gets a one-year $2.5 He's also chasing uh, down... Let's see should have wrote this down, but I can't remember how many he's away. Let's see. He is at 679. So he is 21 home runs away from 700. Would love to see it. Is he going to get there? I don't know, but I would love to see it. I was hoping he would do it with the Angels. The Home Run Derby X announced they're doing a world tour in London, Seoul. And Mexico City, where um, teams are, are matching up for a big home run derby. Some some old school teams with a player, a softball player, a coach, or something like that. Uh, but some fun action, a little bit change in Spice in MLB. And then uh, in NFL news, the Lions officially on Hard Knocks. That's going to be a blast. Um, I love me Hard Knocks. Sure, it's the Lions, but seeing the the crazy coach, Mr. Campbell, and the squad, Uh, I love the the behind-the-scenes shit. I don't really care who it is. I'm excited that it's announced earlier than later. Aaron Donald returning to the Rams. A contract not finalized, but he will not retire. Huge thing for the Rams. Puts him right back into Super Bowl contention. The Patriots signing uh, cornerback Malcolm Butler, two-year, $9 million. Uh, You might remember him from the big play in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. And they also signed Jabril Peppers uh, for some backfield depth. Ronald Jones signing with the Chiefs. Huge move as Clyde's Edwards-Hilaire is the main man, but has been battling injuries. And they needed some um, backup running backs as Daryl Williams had been signed elsewhere. Ronald Jones could be a big piece for the Chiefs. Um, they also signed Marquez Valdez-Scantling to a three-year $36 million deal. A lot more than what uh, Juju Smith got paid, which is a you know head-scratcher to me. Um, but a guy that has over-the-top speed uh, try to replace some of that speed that they've lost in Tyreek Hill. The Jets signing Solomon Thomas to a one-year deal. I love that signing. I thought he played well in, in uh, Las Vegas and definitely can bring something to the Jets. The Saints re sign Traquan Smith, two-year, six million, and signed Andy Dalton as a backup quarterback in case Jameis has some issues. And Malcolm Jenkins officially retiring. What a fucking career Malcolm's had. That defense in New Orleans has been a, a solid unit for many years, and he's been the captain there um you know pre-eagles post-eagles um but bravo to a great career malcolm jenkins the ravens extending john harbaugh no surprise there and the nfl does come with overtime rule changes where each team gets a possession but only in playoffs you know i don't really care to be honest a lot of people make a bigger deal of this i didn't mind the the original playoff format there's two sides of the game two units for a reason play some fucking defense other hitters, USA soccer having their last three games to try to clinch a World Cup, did not go well last Friday, getting a draw against Mexico 0 to 0. But then Pulisic gets two goals, two PKs. Um, they, they, they stop Panama 5 to 1. And now they play Costa Rica on Wednesday. And it's the only thing they need to do is not get beat by, like, I think four or six goals. So as long as they can keep it close, get the win. They will be riding into the world cup as well as Canada for the first time. in I don't remember how many years, but a long time getting excited as the world cup is getting defined, right? Hopefully, um, you know, uh, the USA can make a run before the USA gets to host it in four more years, hopefully here in Seattle. And then I got a a non story story to wrap up. How about Will Smith at the Oscars? You know, I don't want to bring this up, but you know, it's a bunch of celebrity drama, I just think that was inexcusable. Uh, sure. He talked about your wife consult him after the show. He's hosting the fucking Oscars, like literally bitch slapped the hell out of him. I could not believe it. I thought it was fake at first, but uh, it was the real deal. Holy field. Then he wins an Oscar celebrates. Yeah, it was, it was weird. Um, but I'm loving the show winning time on HBO. What a great production. It's a blast. I wish you could binge watch all the episodes. If you're looking for a show, you know, HBO Max doesn't really fuck around with shit content, but winning time about the Showtime Lakers back in the day must see TV. And lastly, hey, everyone's got big goals this year. You're looking to be the best version of yourself. You're looking to supplement yourself. Go to fueledsupplements.com. Support small business. It's people helping people. See you guys next week. Can't wait to talk. Hopefully Villanova stamps away into another championship and things are getting very, very interesting in the NBA. Stay tuned.